My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of different perspectives on leadership and current affairs. And to this end, today we're joined on the programme by Shirag Golwala, the founder and chief executive officer of TripCenter.net, a firm which has created the world's leading booking site for chauffeured car, minibus and chartered bus hire. Very, very prominent in the tourism industry, of course. Um, Shirag, a great warm welcome to yourself today. And by all means, thank you for joining us on the program. Morning, Scott. Uh, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Yeah, it's an immense pleasure for us having you, Shirag, and thank you ever so much for your time and taking to do this, of course. Um, now, tourism. Um, very, very topical issue at the moment because the industry was, of course, stricken by the events of the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic, possibly more so than any others alongside hospitality, of course. So let's start with this issue. Um, for your business, um, what sort of operational challenges did the pandemic throw up and how did you overcome them to get into the position that you're in now? Uh, I think uh, it's fair to say, uh, Scott, that uh, COVID, of course, impacted the travel industry the most. Uh, and uh, every single business I've spoken to in the industry across the globe uh, got impacted by it, uh, with hundreds of thousands of businesses uh, that went into liquidation, you know, uh, with millions of job losses. And uh, for us at Trip Center, we were absolutely not immune, as uh, ground transport plays a crucial part in the whole tourism and travel ecosystem all over the world. Especially as an organically grown startup, the pandemic threw up the challenges I had never ever experienced in all my past business ventures. So for me, when this happened, uh, the first priority uh, was to make sure that my colleagues in Asia, they were safe. As the news coming out in those times, uh, you know, now it looks like a distant memory, but if you go back to 2020 and late 2019, the news coming out at that time was incredibly worrying mm. and the panic was literally setting in. So once uh, we realized that, that this was, uh, you know, uh, going to be a, a, a long haul effectively. So I had to make sure that we took care of them first of all, uh, because they also have families to feed. Uh, so, and once that, uh, you know, uh, once we took care of them uh, as a business, then we went about facing all the operational challenges one by one. Uh, now think about it. I, I think nobody, not, in, not even us, not even the government anywhere in the world, had any playbook uh, or contingency plan to deal with this kind of a pandemic, right? But mm. one, what we did was uh, we made sure that, uh, uh, so just to give you an example, on a one single Monday morning, uh, back in January 2020, we received more than 100 cancellations uh, on a single day, in single morning from Asia. And we knew straight away that this was going to be a very, very long haul. Mm. But what we made sure was that, uh, you know, whatever the cancellations we received back in 2020, uh, you know, and, and, and from that point onward, we made sure that we refunded, uh, uh, you know, all the bookings regardless of uh, the situation because that was a moral duty we had obviously and we had to adhere to our own guidelines uh, that was very very important for us as a startup business and finally uh, the good news is after two years 
with COVID in the real new year, hopefully, we are starting to rebuild our business. You know, uh, the whole ground transport and marketplace uh, we are building. Uh, we are lucky in a way that uh, we have users of our platform all across the globe rather than, um, you know, uh, geography specific. Mm, so that's the situation we're at, um, of course, at the moment. And the reason that I wanted to address the pandemic first and foremost is because it was during the last two years that the UK government took a decision that is impacting UK tourism even now. And that was a decision to abolish tax-free shopping for non-EU tourists. Um, The government did that by withdrawing the uh, VAT retail export scheme. And that move actually made the UK the only European country not to offer tax-free shopping to non-EU tourists. Now, um, obviously, with tourism on its knees at that period of time, um, the government may well have been looking to recoup all of the money it possibly could. But now that we're seeing UK tourism and tourism in general starting to recover, is there evidence in your view to suggest that domestic UK tourism has actually been hampered by the government's move? I think it's an interesting one, uh, Scott. So if I remember correctly, uh, the rationale provided by the government for getting rid of this scheme was because of the perceived cost of expanding the scheme to the EU visitors post-Brexit. That was one of the main reasons. But also I remember distinctly uh, the comparisons with the US uh, were being made uh, with regard to getting rid of uh, tax free scheme, yeah. which really not, actually made no sense uh, to, 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 to us as a UK uh, tourism, because our competition in the UK is directly with France and Italy when it comes to tourism and tax-free shopping. Nothing to do with the US at all, right? So one of the major attractions for any international tourist coming to the UK, right, was tax-free shopping, especially if you look at the Southeast and the Far East Asian market, pre-COVID and the amount of money they, they were spending in the UK. Let me give an example, uh, and then you will realize uh, uh, the scale of it. Mm. Pre-COVID, many visitors from Asia traveled to UK repeatedly, right? It was law, so it was because of shopping. Now that we are seeing the international movement of travelers picking up, uh, you know, UK is definitely losing out significantly. And if this scheme is really not revisited by the government, I'm afraid there is more pain for tourism especially when Asian travelers start traveling long distance in. And believe it or not, but they do love taxi shopping. That's one of the reasons they travel long distance to Europe and to UK. Mm. So I think the government definitely has to, you know, I personally think, and I think the industry is also uh, crying out for the government to revisit this uh, taxi scheme. And it's something that the wider industry is calling for as well, isn't it? Um, the Luxury Trade Association um, Walpole, actually, which includes names such as, you know, Burberry, Harrods, Glenfiddich, to name but a couple there. Um, they believe that by bringing back uh, tax-free shopping for non-EU tourists, it could actually result in direct retail sales of at least £1.2 billion annually. Um, and that's through attracting an additional 600,000 visitors to the UK. So it's startling statistics, isn't it? What are your thoughts on that? It is. I'm not surprised, Scott. I think these are very conservative numbers based on what is already happening on the ground with the Middle East and the US tourists that are starting to come to UK and Europe. And if you look at high-end luxury tourism, UK is losing out more than 40% to Europe. 
uh, again, let me give you an example of pre and post uh, uh, scheme, right? And mm-hmm. the scale of it. We catered about 12% of, uh, you know, the Asian, majority Chinese, India, and the Japanese in about tourism in UK in 2018-19, managing about 28,000 travelers in the UK. They collectively spent more than half a billion pounds in the UK, where shopping and fine dining were two of the major factors for them to come to the UK. Now think about that for a second. That's nearly 20,000 pounds per head. Mm. Uh, of course, not everything is going to be on hotel and accommodation or, or tourism, right? There is a lot along with it. So you have shopping, the fine dining, the theaters, and all this economy that, you know, all these uh, ancillary uh, industries that rely on tourism, you know. So that that absolutely, I think, uh, I, you know, this is something, you know, really, really important for UK. And I believe there is still time for the government to relaunch the scheme uh, before it's too late for 2023. Because for 2022, obviously, the people have failed already. Mm. Now, that's one thing, isn't it? Um, obviously, relaunching the uh, the scheme to start with. But it isn't yeah. just the prices that seem to be putting tourists off. Um, what we are seeing yeah. as well is sort of, you know, more inconvenience in immigration control because of longer queues. Mm-hmm. And oh, obviously, yeah. um, it is more costly now to acquire tourism visas uh, for non-Europeans. And obviously, a lot of that mm-hmm. is being pinned on uh, new post-Brexit regulations, um, which obviously also yeah. came into force during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Um, so is Brexit also partially to blame for the drop-off in foreign tourism? Uh, I think the, uh, if, if you look at the you know, last 10 or 15 years, I think the Home Office already has far too many legacy issues that they are dealing with with the government and the minister changes and with, uh, with the changes of ministers and their secretaries comes the policy changes. And Brexit just adds more misery uh, to the whole team of uh, uh, things, you know. So getting a UK visa for tourism has always been a problem. Over the years, I've seen and spoken to thousands of clients from countries where they require a visa, not just for the UK, but for Schengen and, and the US. Mm. One thing what they have consistently complained is that the UK tourist visa is far too expensive, right? Number one. Number two, they always say, why your forms are so incredibly long and interrogative, uh, right? And even after that, 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 you know, it takes so long time for them to even find out, uh, right, whether they have been granted a visa to visit the UK. Uh, so let alone before coming here and facing the long, long immigration queues, that's, just after two or three months, just to prepare and come here, it takes them this long time. And and what's happened since Brexit, a lot of travelers have been caught unaware uh, of uh, this, uh, you know, transit visa requirement, uh, requirements now. Mm. If you are, for example, taking any, you know, a lot of the European uh, uh, airlines, and if you are transiting through European uh, airports, now think about it, the transit visa, which was not the case before, Brexit. So that's one thing, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, travelers have been caught un- unaware. And, you know, a lot of them, they are searching for the information online, you know, on, on social media, reaching out to people all across. So that's something, you know, Brexit has really had an impact on this, of course, because now you have a limited, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
you are restricted in terms of taking the flight. If you are, uh, you know, so a lot of traffic is now coming to Middle Eastern Airlines or, or, or you know, because there are not many direct flights uh, to UK, if you think about it, from Asia, mm. uh, right? So BA and Virgin are pretty much uh, are the only two players we have in the UK. And European Airlines, obviously, uh, they are there. And that's a struggle, I think, but I think the government should uh, be able to deal with this fairly easily compared to, you know, uh, other tasks that they are dealing with because there is a reciprocal, you know, I think there will be some sort of reciprocity. Let me rephrase the word. There will be some sort of reciprocity uh, from Europe in this regard, I think. Mm. Now, Obviously, some of these issues that you've highlighted could be sort of quite simple fixes for the UK government compared to others. And then obviously, you've got the visa issue, which is something of a legacy problem yeah. with the Home Office. Um, yeah. Considering that these issues, as particularly the visa one, has gone on for a while without being addressed, despite quite a yeah. lot of complaints about it. Is the UK government guilty of being sort of too complacent on UK tourism? Do you think ministers are simply assuming that tourists are going to continue to come and spend money regardless of what the conditions are when, as we're now seeing, the reality is proving to be very different and we are now losing out? Mm. Okay, uh, I think I'm going to answer this question from an, from an international traveller perspective. Mm. Uh, and I hope, I really sincerely hope the government realises this. Informal traveler perspective. Any traveler who can afford to travel to UK can very easily travel, uh, afford to travel anywhere else without suffering the agony of, uh, uh, you know, what I discussed just now, wait, wait time of two to three months just to find out whether they've been granted a visa. Despite, uh, you know, filling up a very long and interrogative form, paying probably the most expensive visa fees, uh, you know. Uh, now, you know, some of the customers, when we engage with them in Asia and Middle East, they are categorically saying to us, if your government wants me to come and spend money in your country, at least make me feel welcome. Mm. So, you know, so yes, I do think the government is being a little bit complacent. Uh, it's, uh, you know, and, and negligent when it comes to UK tourism. Uh, think about it. I mean, UK has so much to offer. We have so many, you know, we have so much history. We have beautiful culture. Yes, history, tradition, everything we have. We even have an infrastructure in place despite being an island nation. So, yes, I think, but look, looking at the bright side, I think, um, you know, if the government gets their mindset uh, right and the strategy right, I think we can manage it. You know, we can absolutely, uh, uh, you know, uh, get this uh, on track against the UK tourism. Hopefully so, because um, a sensitivity analysis as well on UK tourism has actually been carried out from within the industry. Um, could you tell us, uh, Chiragam, what that analysis actually uncovered for the future of the sector if this situation isn't addressed? Yeah, so what we have been doing, uh, Scott, actually, since we came out of hibernation early this year, we have been speaking to many uh, business and leisure travellers in Asia and the Middle East who use our platforms uh, significantly and regularly to book ground transport for themselves, their customers, their colleagues, you know, and the clients. Mm. So we did a sensitivity analysis on based on not just the financial side, but also the emotion side of a, of a user, right? Because ultimately, travel is a discretionary product when you travel anywhere. Uh, so we have to look at the emotions of the, of the person when they're traveling. So 
it was based on seven pillars basically, uh, and then it compared the value for money that it gave to to visitors coming to the UK uh, as compared to France or Italy or, or Greece, for example. And we looked at the visa regime, uh, what it means is the time and the cost, uh, right? We looked at the flights and the fares. We looked at the accommodation costs. We looked at the food, the shipping, the things to see and do. Uh, whether you are a business traveler or, or or a leisure traveler, because these are the things you need anyway. The transport options and the cost. If you are a leisure traveler, a family, you know what are the children's activities and what are the beach resorts there available. You know what are the reasons for returning uh, visitors to this country. You know, is there any friends and family connection to to visiting this country? So these are the things we looked at when we did our analysis. And uh, bar one or two things uh, in, in this, uh, you know, uh, our pillars, uh, what it shows is that UK will continue to have material uh, downward impact for the rest of uh, 2022, perhaps going into Q1 of 2023. And I sincerely hope uh, that, you know, our assumptions prove foolish, to be honest, and that the government really gets their, you know, uh, they put their mind to, you know, really encouraging the UK tourism. Yeah, and we've spoken about the fact already that, you know, there is still time before 2023 to resolve this particular issue. So from a UK yeah. government perspective, what should a comprehensive yeah. UK tourism export strategy look like in your view, which will help the industry rebound and entice these tourists back? Mm. I think, in uh, in my opinion, this requires significant collaboration across all international stakeholders and work as a team, and including the government participation, because after all, they are the ones who are making policies. Mm. If you look at it from top down, uh, if I'm looking at it as a business uh, model and top down business model, I think what we need to really look at, uh, uh, you know, as an overall objective is a comprehensive each market specific marketing strategies we need to you know come up with uh, and especially the messaging what messaging we are delivering in those marketing methods you know uh, strategies and especially including who is delivering those messages in those markets that's very very important because you want uh, you know you want to connect with the audience in those markets number one very important right then we have to really really streamline and simplify our visa regime UK system has to be internationally competitive, no doubt about that. You know, uh, look at the, uh, you know, the other thing, obviously, I know I'm, I, I'm repeating this, but uh, I think we really need to look at reinstating the tax-free scheme as soon as possible mm. because we have to be able to compete against our nearest tourism rivals in Europe. Very important for us. And then how do we make, you know, this uh, the, the international tourists feel welcome, especially post-COVID, you know, so that cultural understanding is required. Now, London, obviously, you know, not just in London, I'm talking about this from the overall UK perspective, you know. So no matter where these travelers travel, I think they really need to feel welcome, you know, that, that cultural aspect we really need to understand, you know. And as an industry, uh, including the government approach, I think they really need to have this, customer centric, you know, they need to think from a traveler perspective, in my opinion. Not from a you know, host perspective. I think they really need to look at it from a perspective. And then start the collaborative approach 
across the whole UK tourism industry because it's going to be incredibly vital for us to recover and regrow. And I think the industry can rebound very, very quickly if we have this uh, partnerships and collaborative approach throughout the uh, you know, industry up and down the land. Absolutely. And I think the government really has to uh, you know, work with the UK tourism industry because if you look at it over the last few years, you know, it didn't actually have any support at all. And mm. UK tourism does provide millions of jobs and has brought significant revenues through COVID. After all, you know, it is the second largest export industry for UK. Uh, so, you know, this is something the government, I think, has, uh, uh, you know, they, they, I don't know whether it was intentional or intentional, but I think the government never quite grasped, bearing in mind just how severe and how deep the COVID impact has been on UK tourism. And uh, that it requires a little bit more detailed analysis of where they failed, uh, you know, in order to make sure that this never happens again, in my opinion. Mm. So, yeah, it does require a bit of, uh, you know, collaborative and teamwork uh, if you look at the world strategy. It does, yes. It needs to be collaborative. It needs to be all-encompassing. And it is important because, obviously, if this doesn't happen, then the tourism industry domestically, its ability to recover from the pandemic is going to be severely hampered, isn't yeah. it? And, uh, obviously, um, we're hoping that you see the changes that you want to see implemented within the industry over the coming uh, months and years to try and help yeah. sort of stimulate UK tourism again. Um, but yeah. what exactly over the next sort of 12 months in terms of progress would you realistically like to see for the industry and also for your own business, just before we wrap things up? Uh, if you look at the, uh, you know, so if you, if you as an industry, uh, I think it's incredibly resilient and I think it will recover and it will regrow, hopefully more sustainably, sustainably this time, you know, with better working conditions and better pay uh, for the uh, people who work within the industry. Uh, after all, uh, you know, we as, uh, you know, humans, and we are, we have desire to find low-cost holidays always, but that tends to lead to, you know, low-paid jobs, especially, you know, unfair treatment of uh, uh, the employees who are at the bottom of the uh, pile. So if you look at the, uh, you know, the baggage handling staff or, or you know, the the housekeeping staff in the hotel, you know, these are agency workers pretty much all of the time. So they really need to be treated fairly by the management of all these, uh, you know, businesses. Uh, uh, so I think once that is, uh, you know, I think that really will happen over time. Uh, as long as, you know, they are looking at it from a sustainable perspective rather than just going after the, you know, the low cost, uh, low margin uh, holiday perspective. Now, when it comes to uh, ourselves, uh, look, I'm counting my blessings. You know, we are incredibly fortunate that we survived the pandemic. Mm. Of course, we are wounded, but we are rebuilding the business and we will get that for sure. Uh, you know, by 2023, I think we will be back to normal uh, for sure. And since we came out of hibernation, you know, early this year, as I said, you know, we have been super busy auditing our system, you know, our users and our listings. Uh, and that, that, has, that has been our number one priority. Now, if you think about it, pre pandemic, we had just over 200,000 uh, private ground transport vehicles listed on our platform. They are multi-categories, whether it's a car, minibus, coach, luxury, classic, any type of uh, vehicle. And we were actually onboarding the SME fleet owners and chauffeurs, right? 
So we were digitizing this, their services and their fleet. And then we had on the downstream, we had over 10,000 travel agents, tour operators, PMTs, tour guides, you know, who use our platform to book private ground transport options for themselves, their clients, whether it's business or leisure travel or whatever. So we are reconnecting with these users, uh, you know, who survived the pandemic. And we'll, we are going from there, you know, step by step. Now, I'm, I'm a very positive person, and we are always, you know, looking at ways to improve uh, our online booking and offline experiences uh, in the industry, using the technology as a, as a, as a tool. Now, having said that, uh, we are also obviously open to, uh, you know, uh, equity investment in the center as we continue to rebuild uh, our business. But at the same time, we are not going to bring in inpatient capital, as I call it, regardless of improving, you know, travel trends. As real growth will real growth will really start to kick in from 2020 onwards. So yeah, I mean, I think you know, look, bar this, uh, uh, you know, current uh, market conditions that we are faced faced with, uh, you know the. Uh, the inflationary uh, pressures and the, mm. the Ukrainian conflict and all those things. I think once things start to settle down and the government obviously is, uh, you know, bringing in all the measures that they can uh, reasonably across the globe. I think not just in the US, they are doing it all across the globe. But uh, things will, uh, you know, things are looking good for us. And I think we are, we, we believe we'll be there by the end of 2020. Back to, you know, Exactly. Let's hope the prognosis is certainly as good as that. And it's fantastic hearing your positivity despite the current situation because it truly is infectious. And I think as we do start to see the trajectory of the marketplace and where the industry is heading and, you know, what the government is doing to help. Um, I think it'd be great to perhaps catch up in future and just, you know, reassess the situation then and maybe have you back on the show to discuss that. I think it'd be fantastic and really informative. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing, Shag. Thank you again for your time and joining Thank us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Scott, for having me. Thank you. It's been fantastic. And uh, by all means, do take care and do stay safe with all that's still going on as well. You too, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. It was indeed an immense pleasure welcoming Shirag Golwala, founder and CEO of TripCenter.net, onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview today. Um, Just a reminder, if you are listening in and you are a business owner yourself or the head of an organisation, which you feel has its own story to share with us here, then we at the Leaders' Council want to hear from you. So you too can apply to be on the programme to share that story via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, I've been your host, Scott Challoner, on today's episode of the Leaders' Council podcast. Take care all and goodbye.